Hello everyone and welcome back to a brand new episode of your favourite Formula 1 podcast that still, even in this day and age, cares about the racing. Yes, we've got to get that in there as <laughs> early as we can. I'm joined by Jamie183. How, how are we doing, mate? I'm very good. I've just been researching what uh, Nico Hockenberg had for breakfast. Um, was it interesting? No, no. I was saying I'm going to look up his address and go find out. Absolutely not. Do not do that. Um, <laughs> I'm good. And uh, I'm also in a hat for the first time in 109 episodes because it's 8am and I just woke up. Yeah, so. it, it is very, very early <laughs> in the morning here in the UK this week. Um, Jamie is going to watch the pinnacle of English football, or so I've been told. Who, who are not, you going to watch later? I'm not. It's a concert I'm going to tonight. It's not even a football match. Oh, I thought you were watching Huddersfield. Nah, or something. that was last last week. I went to Burnley. So nice. That, that nice. was that was good. <laughs> but in our, you know, I wouldn't say rushed decision to get a podcast out early this morning. We've decided we're going to be starting a mini series inside Knowing Wheel. Yes, this time out. We're going to be starting a Formula 1 iceberg. Now, this is just one that Jamie has found on Twitter. But we kind of thought it gives us a good mini-series to do over the course of 2023 when we've got random break weeks with nothing else to really talk about. So in this episode, we're going to be going through the top of the iceberg. And then, like I said, every week we've got sort of a break week where there's not much to discuss. We'll jump down a tier. So this is probably going to take us a lot of the year. But to be honest, I think we're, I think we're both kind of quite looking forward to this, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, my favourite part of this podcast is just bringing up random stuff that no one else knows about. So, yeah. uh, to be fair, the top tier is, a lot of it is fairly well known to people who've been watching this sport a long time. But if you're new to the sport, then of course a lot of it won't be. But then as we get lower and lower, it's just more and more obscure. <laughs> there, there is going to be some stuff we're going to have to research for this, yeah. isn't there? So that that's going to be very, very good fun. But... Of course, yeah, you know, if you do want to enjoy, make sure you leave a like, get yourself subscribed if you're here on YouTube. Of course, if you're watching on all our various other platforms as well, uh, it'd be greatly, greatly appreciated if you would give us a follow. And Jamie, as well, quickly, to mention other Formula One podcasts, and I'm sure by saying this I'm about to jinx us, did you know on Spotify we've still got a five-star average rating? Wow. Yeah, that is so, amazing. So if, go and ruin it. Enjoying, go and rate yeah. us four star. Yeah, go rate us four star. So we're sat at like 4.8 or something like that. <laughs> but let's get into this, Jamie. With the first tier, uh, I don't think we're going to go to these in a random order. I think we're just going to work our way across, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Canada 2019. What a way to kick off. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Um, that was, I think we, I've spoken about this a little bit before. That was kind of the start of the let them race mentality in Formula One. Which is actually quite interesting that it's the very first thing. Because for those who don't know what happened, Sebastian Vettel got pole position, won me, uh, I think, £10 on a bet, a free bet that I had that day, which was nice. Uh, and then in the race was leading, Lewis Hamilton put a lot of pressure on him. And then turn three at Canada, which is a fast right-left chicane, he completely makes a mistake, gets oversteer on entry, cuts the track over the grass, and then Lewis Hamilton takes the track properly. Vettel comes back on the track and can't control his car because he's obviously just been on the grass and his tyres are full of grass and dirt. And he inadvertently pushes Hamilton into the wall. They don't crash, but Hamilton has to back off. And then Vettel gets a five-second penalty for an unsafe rejoin, which loses in the race and gives it to Hamilton. And the the most iconic shot of this is probably Vettel swap it while he parked up on his in-lap. He didn't even make it to Park Ferme. Uh, and then swapped over 
the P1 and P2 boards in Park Fermi, <laughs> which was very entertaining at the time, and the, the tears on Twitter was something to behold. So. Well, yeah, I think still my favourite bit about this story is always the fact that Ferrari apparently still put a flag up at Maranello yeah. the Monday morning <laughs> afterwards, despite the fact they didn't win the Grand Prix. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, this one was, I mean, it just, it's the start of the iceberg, so I think we all know a fair bit about it. Of course, quite an iconic moment uh, for Sebastian Vettel. You know, it was kind of, he went through his bad boy era early on in his career, and this was like a return uh, to mm. classic Seb of course, would have been his penultimate Formula 1 race victory had he won it and would have been the end uh, to Mercedes' absolute run of dominance at the start of the 2019 campaign. Um, do we do we think it was a fair penalty, though, Jamie, is the real question. This is where we get uh, controversial. I think, yeah. Having five <laughs> seconds was completely fair. <laughs> yeah, I think it, is, it was a little... Like, it was harsh on set because, obviously, he didn't mean to push Hamilton into the wall. But what you do is you don't go off and then you don't push Hamilton into the wall. <laughs> So, I see what people are meaning, like, what else can you do? But the the alternative is don't make the mistake in the first place. So, exactly. I think it was a completely fair penalty. Or, on the other hand, Seb should have just let him buy and re-overtaken him. Yeah, because the Ferrari engine was on a different gravy that year. So <laughs> Well, a bit later on in the year, which we'll, we'll talk about yeah. in a bit. <laughs> yeah, actually, I didn't see it on the, on the list. But, I mean, yeah, that one was... Yeah, not not too controversial, controversial penalty, in our but eyes. More than that. Um, but it, I think it was just the fact, of course. Then after that, said uh, Lewis, sorry, just sat behind him for the rest of the race and watched Seb yeah. rant and roll on the radio, uh, which was quite funny. Rich energy, Jamie. Oh, this is a throwback, isn't <laughs> it? Rich, rich energy. We still, still don't really know what's going on with this company. Of course, famous uh, for sponsoring Haas during the 2019 Formula One season. Despite well, the, f- or well, they were on the car to the end of the year though, weren't they? Still, I, think. I don't think so. They got they they got binned off halfway through. I think. I thought they fake announced on Twitter. Well, this was what we were going to get into. <laughs> yeah. um, so of course they they came in for Haas in 2019. Now, Rich Energy as a company is basically apparently an energy drinks brand. However, none of us really know where any of the products are sold quite reliably. So all the money that they were sponsoring, because I mean they were sponsoring, was it like West Ham's women's team or something yeah. like that as yeah. well at the time? Obviously, Haas's Formula One team, and no one could quite work out where the money was coming from. And of course, William Story is your CEO. He was a bit of a rare bear, I think it's safe to say. <laughs> he was an absolute lunatic, especially on Twitter. And they they joined the sport off the back of 2018, where Red Bull I think finished third in the championship, Haas would have finished fifth. And then they came in and were like, "We're gonna. There's only one energy drink. We're better than Red Bull. We're gonna beat them." <laughs> yeah, despite the fact Mercedes are sponsored by Monster. Yeah, exactly. Which I guess they didn't care about. I genuinely think to this day that William Story used to work for like Red Bull Energy Drinks, got fired or had some disagreement, and just spent the rest of his life having a vendetta against Red Bull. And this is like the pinnacle of that. But um, yeah, That's an basically theory. It was it was very bizarre because they had no money, they had no credibility, but Haas still agreed to get sponsored by them. So, yeah, it was a bit bizarre, really. Uh, and eventually, they did well. They never got any of the payments, Haas, uh, and ha- and Rich Energy were gone by the end of the year. <laughs> so that was a, a weird one. Yeah, yeah, very, very weird. I mean, personally, I think it was just a money laundering front. 
I mean, some of the tweets we got were incredible, yeah. weren't they? I think it was halfway through the French Grand Prix. Uh, the Rich Energy account tweeted out that they were no longer sponsoring Haas, which was weird. Yeah, they due to paid poor anyway, performance. Due to poor performance. There was then tweets after that suggesting that William Story had been sacked because he was the one putting the tweets out. And then someone just as outrageous was now running their Twitter account. And even to this day, they still occasionally tweet out stuff, don't they? Yeah, yeah. And I think the whole thing kind of crescendo, wasn't it? When then they got sued by a random bike company yeah, based out of like Norwich or something. <laughs> it was yeah. just so weird. So, so I mean, we could do a whole podcast on Rich Energy, let's be fair. Yeah. Absolutely outrageous. And we both drove that car in a... In AOR we, one we, season. We, did we win a Constructors' <laughs> Championship with it? Uh, no, we didn't. Oh, I thought we did. <laughs> <laughs> Probably my fault. Probably. I, I outscored you that year, yeah. Uh, 2021 Belgian Grand Prix, Jamie. We've actually already done a podcast on this. We have. So we don't really need to talk about this. We've done 50 much. minutes or so talking about this. But uh, yeah, they were just desperate to get the race done, weren't they? This is a race that um, was... Well, get the race official. Get the race official, yeah. So it was obviously the, the wet. Sunday absolute washout and never got good enough to start the race in my opinion so instead of starting the race they just did a few laps behind a safety car red flagged it and called it there and gave everyone their qualifying positions must which... be mentioned as well it wasn't everyone's qualifying positions was it because not quite uh Checo Perez binned it didn't he on the way to on the, grid. the out lap uh, yeah on the uh, reconnaissance lap even um and, and of Norris. course what we P10. Well, he could have won that Grand Prix and he not yeah. stacked it in qualifying. <laughs> Let's also not forget Jamie as well uh, in this one. Not only did they run three laps behind the safety car to make the race official, it took them four hours to do that. Yeah, yeah. And the key to that actually got fastest lap. Yeah, he did, he did. I didn't watch much of the race, thankfully. I think I kept I wasn't watching much to watch. <laughs> whatever football was on at the time, I just kept watching. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was a bit of a farce. I feel very bad for the fans who were there. Uh, because of course they just got soaked and didn't see anything and then didn't get their money back really because it was an official race technically so it was a it was a shame but it got Max Verstappen five points over Lewis Hamilton because Hamilton couldn't out qualify Russell and Williams so we move yeah okay um i mean that all just i mean that that sets us up nicely for one in just a minute um but quickly we'll we'll sort of split up the 2021 controversy let's let's go back to flexi wings then jamie talk me through this one yeah this is back in 2010 we had a big three-way fight especially early in the season the cars are actually quite well matched between red bull ferrari and mclaren uh but red bull yeah started making a step mid-season and by the end of the day quite clearly had the fastest car and a lot of the controversy this year was around flexible wings which of course were not was not allowed they had to be rigid as they do now um but there were basically a few occasions especially i think bahrain in the new layout which was very bumpy in 2010 the endurance layout they saw other teams saw sparks from the end of red bull's front wings and they had skid plates on that were, that were worn out so clearly they had been rubbing against the ground which I think they're meant to be something like 85 millimeters above the ground, which they clearly are not. Um, so it basically meant that everyone was saying their their wings were flexible. And actually, so much so that McLaren, Martin Whitmarsh, uh, had said to the FI that we're bringing our own flexible wing, <laughs> which immediately got outlawed. Uh, so they couldn't bring their flexible wing. And then Red Bull were kind of like investigated, I guess, for having a flexible wing. But 
they maintain that and they never got found to have a flexible wing and they never lost performance so it was just some some Adrian Newey magic I think yeah, and I mean, we we don't actually know 100% because it doesn't say 2010 there, but it could also be relating to the 2021 controversy, couldn't it? Uh, between both Red Bull and Mercedes, apparently, with like the rear of the cars squatting. Yeah. Um, which obviously was then creating flexibility <clears throat> in the wings. Or, of course, Max Verstappen touching Lewis Hamilton's rear wing in uh, Brazil. Yes, yeah. <laughs> which which segues us nicely, doesn't it, into the 2021 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Uh, which, as a controversy goes, of course, is probably a lot bigger. But this is an F1 iceberg, so it's just about how well known it is. Um, yes. But, I mean, we've we've spoke about this to no ends, of course, on the podcast. Five laps to go, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Nicholas Satifi bins it. Safety car comes out. They don't follow procedure correctly because they didn't want Lewis Hamilton winning the World Championship. <laughs> it's a pretty good roundup, isn't it? <laughs> they didn't follow procedure properly because the entire world was watching the sport and they wanted a climax. It didn't matter who was winning. I think it did. Do you honestly? <laughs> right, I'm going to ask you a question then, Jamie. Do you honestly believe if Max had been first and Lewis had been second, they would have ran that race the same way they did? I think so, genuinely. Yeah. Okay. They well, just didn't. The whole the whole world. There's probably like a billion people. Maybe not that many. There were like hundreds of millions of people watching. There's no way they were letting that race finish under safety car, regardless who was going to win. I don't think they wanted to finish it behind safety car as well. That I completely agree with. But I do also think Formula One were desperate to finally try and knock Mercedes and uh, Hamilton off the perch at the yeah, top. And that's gone well for them, hasn't it? Yeah, they could have <laughs> just waited another three months and it would have been done for them anyway. Um, but yeah, we, we spoke to that one to no Go watch on the channel. 2021's podcast. We've probably spoken about it at least four or five times since then as well. Oh, at least. It gets mentioned every other week. <laughs> yeah. um, Ferrari's veto. Jamie, this one goes back, doesn't it? You can talk. I actually don't know about this one, so you can do this one. Well, this is obviously just the fact for a very, very long time, of course, in so many instances, how Ferrari, it's always been felt, have been able to veto decisions in the sport. Now, probably one of the best examples of this, and I mean, we'll mention it in a minute, is the 2005 US Grand Prix. Um, Basically, the way in Formula 1 works with a lot of rules, of course, is that every team has to agree on certain things and Ferrari are often the one team that disagrees with stuff if it gives them an advantage and because it's still felt to this day uh, that Ferrari are in bed with the FIA more than anyone else that they kind of are able to have much more power over decisions than any other team yeah and especially when it was like the super team of Braun, Todd's and Schumacher they they definitely had a lot of influence over the sport yeah, I mean, there's quite a lot of examples of this, obviously, like we said, Suzuka, uh, sorry, not Suzuka, 2005 US Grand Prix, um, you know, whether they were going to put a temporary chicane in that weekend, anything like that. Uh, the tyre changes at the end of 2003, um, that I'm um, probably on here somewhere else, they I would have thought. Yeah, a bit we'll further about down. in two months' time, wasn't Well, yeah, we will. <laughs> um, but yeah, just so many Ferrari controversies over the years. Uh, and of course, I mean, this one as well. Uh, is actually later on in this podcast, is the 2019 engine. Yes, yeah. And they can get away with quite a lot more than most teams, Ferrari, yes, <laughs> when it comes to the exactly. FAA. Exactly. Renault's brake by. So we, I think we know a fair bit about this one, don't we, Jamie? You can talk, you yeah, can talk us through this. Yeah, this was uh, very amusing. It was basically, <clears throat> it was kind of like active brake bias. So it was Japanese Grand Prix 2019. Uh, someone 
inside Renault is whistleblown to a Haas uh, like engineer Employee. that that Renault have been using this brake bias that changes automatically as you go around the lap, which I think is quite innovative, really, but it's also illegal. So <laughs> there's that. Um, basically meant that for Daniel Ricciardo and Nico Hülkenberg, they, they were having effectively a driver aid basically changing the brake bias for them, which they can do themselves. They can The driver can change the brake bias in the car like you can in the F1 game. But they weren't. They had an automated system for it, which technically classified it as a driver aid. So both of them were disqualified from this race. Then Renault appealed it, on the basis that they'd been doing this for five years. <laughs> Which is not never a good appeal. That's like robbing a bank. And then when you go to court because you got arrested doing it, you go, well, I did all these other robberies and you didn't arrest me. <laughs> yeah, so it's very bizarre. It was at the time when there were lots of rumours about Renault's involvement in the sport. So it kind of felt like they were trying to get out, to be honest. But uh, they didn't, obviously. They became Alpine and stayed a year later. But um, yeah, it was... It was a bizarre time. Renault are just a bit weird, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where, I mean, looking at it and looking at the rule book, even we could tell you that that seemed illegal. Because, um, yeah. of course, you know, all these sort of electric... Because, I mean, effectively, it is an electronic aid. It's not like traction control or ABS, that sort of thing. But it is still an electronic aid because, of course, it was changing the brake bias automatically uh, yeah. for you. But, yeah, the fact that Renault's evidence for defense was well we've been doing this since we weren't even Renault uh, since they were Lotus back in the day was probably a bold choice but as Jamie said you know there there was all this speculation at the time as to whether Renault were trying to look for a way out of the sport so a way out definitely would have been get ourselves disqualified from F1 history pretty much yeah (laughs) which always makes me laugh the fact that Renault could have been banned from five years of Formula One uh but Crashgate which I'm sure is somewhere on this oh yeah isn't um racing points break ducks though this was 2021 wasn't it jamie um 2020 2020, sorry yes of course uh racing point had already caused a bit of controversy uh heading into the 2020 season when it was quite clear uh that their car was just last year's mercedes re-stickered um of course most of that wasn't actually deemed to be illegal because effectively i mean it was lovingly known as the tracing point wasn't it yeah. Uh, that year but what was deemed illegal was of course racing point you know a lot of teams do this anyway has to do it with ferrari parts they pretty much take as many mercedes parts as they possibly can you know it's within the rules it's completely fair yeah. it helps some of the smaller teams stay closer to the bigger teams um but what racing point had done which was found to be illegal was whether they got the information directly from mercedes or whether they just copied it from them they did have near enough identical brake ducts, which well, someone was they got the blueprints from somewhere, hadn't they? They basically yes. like they had made their own brake ducts, but they were the design was done by Mercedes, and the brake ducts that year were not a listed part, so you couldn't take the part from a bigger team or any team. So that was the only actual illegal part, and obviously the other midfield teams, the Renaults, the McLarens at the time were not happy because Racing Point had taken this massive jump, probably had the third fastest car based on being the Mercedes, like based on copying the Mercedes. And they were looking for any reason to penalise them. And this is what they found. And it actually did end up costing them a lot because not only was it, what, $5 million fine, uh, but also it was also a 15-point deduction to the constructors, which did end up costing them P3 to McLaren. So that's probably... a at least what five or ten million in prize money difference 
So Easily. Yeah. it did it did end up costing them to to copy these brake ducts. But then who knows if they hadn't had the brake ducts, maybe they they finished fourth anyway. <laughs> so. This was the other thing, wasn't it? As well, of course, the fact that they were they were found to have these brake ducts illegally. Weren't then told to change them. They were allowed to no. keep them for the rest of the yeah. year anyway. Oh, you've done it now. Yeah, <laughs> Again, might as well go, keep on cheating. It's like going back to my robbing a bank analogy. That's like getting convicted for it. Going, oh, you can keep the money though. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's bizarre. Bizarre how this sport runs sometimes. Adelaide 1994. Weirdly enough, we've actually discussed this one before, haven't we? We have. Schumacher documentary, wasn't it? Yes. So, for those of you that don't know, Final race in 1994. It's a season now I strongly believe Williams should have absolutely dominated and Senna would have. Senna, uh, had Senna he definitely not, would have won. Uh, had he not obviously been killed in Imola. But we did have a championship decider going into the final race. Damon Hill versus um, Michael Schumacher heading into Adelaide. Now, Schumacher dominating this Grand Prix in his Benetton. Still now, we, we kind of wonder whether they had traction control or not. I think that's probably, again, <laughs> you, you part of this tier list. Well, I mean, there's, there's more and more stories about this, isn't there, more recently. Um, but Schumacher hit the wall, and then a couple of corners later, Damon Hill comes around, tries to overtake him. Now, at this point, Schumacher's out of the race, effectively. Yeah. He's broken the steering arm. It, it's done. It's over. Damon Hill lunges it to the inside of Schumacher, they come together, and Damon Hill is then also taken out of the Grand Prix. Yeah, yeah. And obviously it's one of two incidents in Schumacher's career. The actual other incident is also on this top I think two list. incidents is a bit low. <laughs> well, two of the key ones, definitely. <laughs> but, um, yeah, of like people call it a deliberate crash. You could say you knew what it was doing. I'm a Schumacher fan, so I'm not going to say that. <laughs> but um, I do think... Obviously, before the Schumacher documentary, I had never seen the onboard of Hill. Because I don't think it was actually anywhere. But having seen Hill's onboard from Williams, it's a bit of a nothing... Like, it's a stupid move from Hill. Yeah. Genuinely. (laughs) Because, like, it's not a braking zone, that corner. It's maybe 30 metres long. It's such a short... It's a low entry speed. And it's not really a braking zone. So just to lunge it up the inside, when you know that you're going to overtake him anyway, because he's hit the wall, he's basically got a damaged car at the very least he's probably gonna have to retire with it i don't think he knew that schumacher had hit the wall no potentially not he was too far back but it was slight it was very much like hot-headedness in the moment to just send it on him (laughs) and then schumacher obviously takes the line normally maybe not knowing that hill's there maybe he did i'm not going to comment and ends up with both of them being out the race uh and schumacher was leading the championship before that race so ended up winning the championship his first one so yeah certainly yeah. an interesting way to win a world title but i mean there's there's arguments either way isn't there should schumacher have pulled off the circuit there or was he trying to make it back to the pit lane um <laughs> or yeah whether i mean if if you're damon hill hindsight is a beautiful beautiful thing don't get us wrong um but he, yeah why why did he lunge it into that corner still and i'm saying that not even from a huge michael schumacher fan or anything like that which mm. i think is blasphemy on f1 twitter <laughs> nowadays yeah, you can't still. be saying that yeah daz jamie daz 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 <laughs> what a what funny. a year this was that was very funny because going into i mean it's 2020 pre-season we've had the whole of 2019 where towards the end you kind of had Charles Leclerc, Max Verstappen, making strides towards the Mercedes duo of Hamilton and Bottas. So everyone was hyping up 2020 to be this huge, 
like title fight. We're going to get these two young drivers coming against Hamilton. Like, it's going to be really, really close. We get to the first day of testing in Barcelona, and Hamilton's steering wheel is moving backwards and forwards. <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly everyone's like, oh, well, that's it then. That's the season done. And it turns out to be very true. Um, Helped, of course, by the weakness. fact that Mercedes had dominated an absolute track weapon as well. Yeah, yeah. So I think Mercedes' big weakness was tyre warm-up in 2019. And this DAS basically changed the camber levels of the front tyres to allow for, like, having a tyre straighter is better for warm-up uniformly. But then when you're actually racing, you want them towed in. So it allowed them to warm up the tyres very effectively and then turn it back to how you want it for a race, which was just genius, to be fair. But did get outlawed immediately, although after the season was over. So it was too late for 2020. Uh, but, but yeah, that, it was just funny seeing the absolute mess on Twitter that morning. It just Hamilton rocks up down the Barcelona straight, and suddenly you're just pulling your steering wheel backwards yeah. and forwards. You can yeah. see the front <laughs> wheels wiggling. Well, was quite funny. I mean, the whole debate, wasn't it, was whether it was a... a, a movable aero device wasn't it yeah safe um, wasn't it safety which of course it wasn't deemed to be and i think the thing that a lot of people forgot about this as well wasn't it was the fact that they had developed it always in compliance with the fia they had basically yeah. talked to the fia about this right from the get-go uh and obviously it asked would this be illegal the fia went no but we will be making it illegal in 2021 so they they did it was it was never really out for debate like in the FIA's eyes anyway um but of course it just meant that everyone knew it was going to be outlawed for 2021 so there was no real point in any other teams developing it yeah. um but it was absolutely wild and of course very very innovative as well i mean oh, it, yeah it, absolutely it was one of the, it, uh, at least for the next few years wasn't it it was one of the weirdest sort of little concepts we've ever seen in formula 1 yeah. Um, Suzuka nineteen eighty nine and Suzuka nineteen ninety. <laughs> I feel like as the resident Senna fan, you can you can take these. Well, I think that there's often some information that's forgot about this, though, isn't there? So we come into Suzuka in the nineteen eighty nine season. Senna and Prost. It's the height of their warfare uh, between the duo. Of course, Senna had absolutely dominated nineteen eighty. Well, not absolutely dominated. The team had absolutely dominated nineteen eighty eight. But Senna won the world championship. A little bit, you know, helped by uh, the weird drop round rules and things like that. But either way, he'd won the world title. He won more races. 1989, Prost had given him a lot better of a run for his money. So they come into the final race with it all still to play for. Now, Senna, and I think this is often a bit that I'm amazed is not talked about more. Senna had outqualified Prost by 1.7 seconds. Wow. At Suzuka, which is mental. Was that in the dry or the wet? Uh, I think this was in the dry. What? However, Prost had completely set up his his car for the Grand Prix, and now, of course, nowadays that is unheard of because just data so much better and things like that, uh, and cars are just much better in race and qualifying trim that you just wouldn't out qualify by one point seven seconds. But. And this is where I think things often get a bit confused. Senna then had to start the car on the dirty side of the track. Mm. This hadn't actually changed for that weekend. This had been the same beforehand. So we got a terrible start, spent most of the race trying to close back up to Prost. And then I think it was on lap 47 of 53. 
they came together at the Casio Triangle. Now, my still belief is Prost saw him going to the inside and just turned in on him. I don't know where Prost, Prost was, was not going to go. the apex, was he? Prost was not. Prost was trying to take the Nicholas Satifi line from 2022. Yeah. Um, they come together. Prost thinks he's out of the Grand Prix. Apparently, his car wasn't actually damaged. He could have continued, um, but he thought like he'd ruined the suspension or something, so gave up. Senna was then given a bump start, went through the uh, fake chicane, went back on, won the Grand Prix. And then Jean Balestre, who, bless his heart, he was French. <laughs> There's no arguing against it, he was French. It was very much he wanted Prost to win. So, so basically the penalty was given on the fact that Senna, it was believed, should have turned around at that chicane gone backwards on the track, heading towards other cars. The bearing in mind into yeah, Casio Triangles are still doing about 170 miles an hour, uh, and then gone back onto the circuit as normal. That's BS. Balestra just wanted Prost to win the world title. So 1990, uh, when they came back to Suzuka again, Senna just had to make sure that Prost didn't outfinish him. So he made sure <laughs> he didn't and took him off at turn one. Yes, and it's very well documented. This uh, this two years. If you haven't seen the Senna documentary, would highly recommend because uh, you kind of get an inside look at all of all of the controversy uh, from the perspective of Senna. It kind of does frost a bit dirty, but you know what? It does. But I think the sport <laughs> at the time was also quite against Senna anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a a bizarre time for the sport. Probably, yeah, the, one of the most well, definitely probably the best rivalry of all time. I would say. Yes. Yeah. Especially within a team. In 89 at least <laughs> yeah i mean this one had it all didn't it i think it, it's safe to say um but yeah i mean i think i would argue this is probably the most corrupt championship loss i would say 89. this for abu dhabi 89, yeah, 89 is definitely more corrupt because they yeah. chose a winner <laughs> They did in 2021. Um, but yeah, I think it, it, it's this one, or I mean, this was Abu Dhabi 2021 before Abu Dhabi 2021. Um, but yeah, uh, obviously, Senna they ended up a three time world champion, Prost ended up a four time world champion. Would we be looking on the record books differently? Could a lot of other things change? Have these incidents not occurred? We will never know. Um, speaking of another one that changed a lot of things, Haref 1997, Jamie. Mm, this was. Schumacher's uh, second attempt at winning a world championship by making sure Nita driver finished. Um, 1997, uh, yeah, going to the last race, you've got Villeneuve. Uh, I think they were level on points with Schumacher. Schumacher, Schumacher was, was one a, ahead, I think, or he three was ahead, ahead on. Yeah, he was very ahead by a very small amount. And uh, Schumacher was leading the race. You got the two Williams of uh, Villeneuve and was it Frentzen? The other one? Yep. Hill? Frentzen? Yeah, Frentzen behind. Uh, they've all qualified 0. 0.000 in qualifying as well, which is very bizarre. Um, Villeneuve, Schumacher, and Frentzen. So it's a tie for pole position. Uh, the only three-way tie we've ever had yeah. in sport. How yeah. how legitimate it was is still up for debate. Yeah. <laughs> they just shaved a few milliseconds off of Schumacher's to give him pole. But <laughs> he didn't. He, Villeneuve got pole. <laughs> oh, did he? Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Schumacher's leading the race down into. One of the corners. I don't know Hareth well enough to know which corner it was. I'm going to be honest. Uh, Schumacher sees Villeneuve dive to the inside. And Schumacher knows that if Villeneuve gets passed, that's going to be that for the championship. So just turns in to the wrong side of him. You hit the wrong part of him, my friend. And yes, uh, actually it ends up with Schumacher being out of the race. 
Villeneuve is able to carry on because Schumacher just rammed his tyre into Villeneuve's very solid side pod. Um, so Schumacher's out. Villeneuve goes on to finish third, actually. But I watched... There was a, a driver's eye on F1. I don't know yes, if you remember this. years ago, wasn't it? Where Villeneuve was talking his way through this race. And he basically said... I knew I'd won the title, so I just start backing off. <laughs> he well, knew that th- if he finished in the top eight or whatever it was. Well, the thing was, wasn't it? The controversy... Well, not the controversy, sorry. The thing around that was the fact that Schumacher actually did do damage to Villeneuve's car. Like, he had a load of electronics that apparently were just hanging on by threads. Mm. Yeah, so he basically completely backed off. It ended up with a McLaren 1-2, actually, from Hacken and from Coulthard. First Hacken Villeneuve... win. It was. With Villeneuve P3 in the end. And... To top it all off, they uh, disqualified Schumacher from the championship, which didn't go well for him. Though I do believe that if if this had worked, if Schumacher did manage to get both into DNF, they probably wouldn't have disqualified Schumacher. Because I, if, that if would he'd have been done changing. exactly that, I think they yeah. would have still. That would have been they, they'd spoke the up so much about it going into the weekend, wasn't it? Yeah. I think it was yeah, they basically ridiculous... told the drivers not to crash. Yeah. I mean, there were other things surrounding this as well, wasn't there? You had, I can't remember, one of the Sauber drivers as well um, was told to block Villeneuve after he lapped him. In qualifying? No, that was in the in race. The race. Um, I can't remember his name now off the top of my head. Uh, but of course, he came out admitted years later that Ferrari basically turned around and gone, you block Villeneuve for a couple of laps, otherwise you're getting sacked, uh, which is quite <laughs> good. Um and then, yeah, of course, you the, you then also had the mix-up, didn't you, at the end of the Grand Prix, where I think Gerhard Berger actually also jumped Villeneuve, thought it was going to cost Villeneuve the title, so tried to let him back past, and then they almost <laughs> tripped over each other because that was uh, sorry, that was Berger's last ever Formula 1 Grand Prix as well. Yeah, he didn't want to give Schumacher the title. <laughs> he didn't want to give Schumacher the title, but he uh, Villeneuve also wanted to let him have a podium in his last yeah. ever Grand Prix. Um, but yeah, that one, just loads of random bits and pieces but of course it's really just remembered for you hit the wrong part of him my friend yeah, um, and then of yeah. course that that shot of michael stood on the uh, outside wall just watching mm. villeneuve go around ferrari's 2019 engine jamie this one i love just because of ferrari fans on twitter yeah literally and they had some voodoo going on in this engine quite clearly when you got to belgium and charles leclerc gets the purple sector one by nine tenths of a second when it's one straight and a quarter <laughs> it was yeah there was something massively illegal going on with this engine but it's, and it's still thought now isn't it it was the uh, they'd found a way to get around the fu- fuel flow meter yeah so they were basically burning more fuel than allowed um and it basically meant the ferrari was an unbelievable qualifier and leclerc got we got the most poles that year i think it was seven which is quite low for the most poles really but and then we got to USA later in the season, having just had a Ferrari, I think, five poles in a row at that point. It must have and been, And they, yeah. they qualified fifth and seventh <laughs> because they'd clamped down on it. Well, they brought out a new... The, so the FIA weren't pointing fingers at anyone at this point. Again, you know, going back to the Ferrari veto. Um, but they had said there was going to be two, two fuel flow measurement readings now on the engines. Uh, one, I think early on in the whole combustion system and then one right towards the very end. Now, Ferrari had worked a way to get around the first one, of course, saw the second one, and it was impossible to get around. They basically thought, oh, shit, we're screwed. (laughs) (laughs) And this, I think, is where, like, when Ferrari fans go on about, like, oh, well, it's not fair, Mercedes are never told off. 
for their dodgy yeah, engine. Because they do it properly. All this, that, and the other. <laughs> Mercedes keep that performance consistent over the course of a year. Ferrari rock up. They get like two poles in the first half of the year by tiny margins. They had a good car down the straights anyway, yes. But not by a second in one sector at Spa. <laughs> they rock up. Absolutely dominate three Grand Prix. Give Seb his last ever win, even though Charlotte Leclerc should have won that Grand Prix anyway. Um, and then the FIA bring out a new technical directive, and suddenly their engine's awful again. Yeah, like, how do people car, not understand this? Their car could never go around corners that year. So no. it was being carried by the straight. <laughs> I mean, it was basically a dragster, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that US Grand Prix was even better by the fact, of course, that then Seb managed to destroy the car in the weirdest way possible. Like, was yeah. the rear suspension made of spaghetti? We never quite know. <laughs> yeah, weird times in 2019. And, uh, well, moving on to Mercedes wheel rims, which I still don't know. I, th- I, didn't, I didn't do the research on this, so you can, you can take it away. So this one was 2012, apparently. Now, you, you were a bigger Mercedes fan than I was at this time. Um, but uh, it's still apparently believed that the uh, Red, uh, sorry, the Red Bull had some interesting blown axle concepts in 2011, uh, but they were banned by the FIA by the end of the year. Mercedes came into 2012 with these new, very, very innovative wheel rims uh, that it was deemed to be, um, I think it was a move, yeah, movable aerodynamic device again. Um, so a, a bit of a weird one, but obviously, like we said, you know, this is meant to be quite a common one. But yeah, basically, they had like these weird spokes on the wheels. I'm not an aerodynamicist, I'm afraid. Um, but yeah, it was it was thought that they were an yeah. active, um, movable aero device. That was the same time as their double DRS as well, wasn't it? Which yes. was also yeah. illegal. But it did give Ross okay. Berger's first race win. So it we'll did. Take it. Shanghai and Schumacher fake pole and real podium in Valencia. Yes, yeah, I, I had because yeah, Schumacher's retirement from that Shanghai race was Martin Brundle. I haven't been this disappointed since yeah. I watched Shrek Two. <laughs> yeah, uh, which is because it would have been a one too. For, lives on the Yeah, and I think this was really the start, wasn't it, of Mercedes now actually? Because obviously, 2010, 2011, they were they were a decent midfield team, but I don't think they realised how much money they needed to put in to make this investment worthwhile. 2012 was when they started pushing the envelope a bit more, started playing the politics a lot more yeah. against the other teams. So really, you know, the, the Mercedes wheel rims was, I'd argue, part of their origin story. Yeah, back, yeah, in, back in the sport, of course. Um, 2005 US Grand Prix, Jamie. Where do we begin with this one? <laughs> yeah, that's quite a well-documented one, I feel. Uh, if you've seen any screenshots of it, you'll just know there were six cars on the grid out of 24? 20. 22? 20. Oh, 20. 20 by that point. Fair. Basically, it was peak tire war in formula one so you've got bridgestone ran cars and michelin ran cars and 2005 off the back of five years of dominance by ferrari who were like the the major bridgestone runners uh 2005 had screwed over bridgestone completely and allowed the michelin teams to basically take a massive step forward so you had renault mclaren uh, even toyota i think truly was on pole wasn't he probably that was for a renault though wasn't it yeah um but yeah, all these teams had basically usurped Ferrari, and Ferrari were having an absolute shocker that season. Winless so, um, up to this point. Yeah, winless up to now. But then in qualifying, you had Ralph Schumacher in the Williams BMW, I think, uh, going around the banking in his Michelin shod car, uh, had a massive tyre blowout, really uh, ruined the car. I think he wasn't going to take part in the race anyway because yeah, he was, he was injured. He broke his, um, yeah, he, I think he broke his back. I want to yeah, say which is quite mad but uh 
even so, this obviously gave Michelin a massive headache uh, because there's no guarantee that their their cars are capable of running because basically it was a it was a resurfaced track with like diamond infused tarmac. It was diamond was cut to suit diamond Indy cut. Car. Sorry, yeah, uh, which, which ruined. The Michelin tires. <laughs> well, this was the thing, of course, because Bridgestone knew about this. Because, uh, obviously, yeah. Firestone, who were one of Bridgestone's subsidiaries, ran the IndyCar. Ran IndyCar. So they had all the data ready for this weekend. Didn't give it to Michelin. No, why would they? <laughs> then why would they, yeah. Um, so, so, basically, y- yeah, it carried on. And you had the, the Saturday night, because, obviously, the qualifying was only on the Saturday. Saturday night, you had a massive fallout between everyone in the FA's offices. And... They wanted to put in a temporary chicane, which Ferrari vetoed, as we mentioned earlier. They had the power to do that. And they also came up with the idea of like the Michelin teams just going through the pit lane every lap. Um, but obviously that would have just ruined the race anyway, because you would have had effectively a two-tier race regardless. Uh, ended up with no resolution. Even on the formation lap, David Coulthard and the Red Bull were still trying to negotiate and be like, how about we just start, basically... <laughs> Um, and it ended up with all the cars uh, running Michelin tyres pulling into the pit lane including the pole sitter uh, and championship leader championship second place man at the time Uh, everyone pulled into the pits on Michelin tyres and just didn't take part in the race which left the two Ferraris who qualified fourth and sixth uh, you had the two Jordans and the two Minardis and it gave Thiago Montero his first and only podium finish Portugal's only podium finish yeah and it was a right mess really it was just bizarre wasn't it i mean michelin basically said our tires can do a maximum of 10 laps before they're just going to be absolutely destroyed now i think the other bit as well that jamie jamie failed to mention there and we've got to give a shout out jamie of course to the greatest ever formula one interview oh yeah paul stoddart oh my boy we love paul, paul stoddart. stoddart i mean this is basically a paul stoddart <laughs> fan podcast at this point we love paul stoddart i want to get him on that'd be we, so good. I, I mean absolutely we would have paul stoddart on the show please <laughs> mate um but of course you know minardi had agreed they weren't going to run this race they they were with the uh, michelin tie runners despite being on bridgestones they were like this is going to be a farce eddie jordan of course you know minardi and jordan were both Let's be fair at this point, pretty dog poo. Uh, neither of scored points this slowest, year. Yeah. Um, so, of course, Eddie Jordan said, we're racing. Or they, he basically decided really late on, we're still going to race. Which then meant that Minardi had to race, otherwise they were going to finish behind him in the championship. Of course, Jordan had a car advantage anyway, so Minardi was screwed either way. Um, but, of course, it basically meant that... I mean, this was effectively the, the nail in... Uh, the coffin, wasn't it? The final nail for Minardi as a Formula 1 team. Yeah. This yeah. was their final screw-over, effectively. Because, um, of course, yeah, Jordan finished third and fourth, Minardi finished fifth and sixth, despite the fact that, I think, was it Kartikeyan? No, Kartikeyan and one of the Minardi, I think it was Friesacker, almost crashed into each other at Turn 1. Yeah. <laughs> which would have been quite bad. A six-car race immediately six became four. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Ferrari, yeah, got their only win of the year. It was an absolute disaster, and it basically killed Formula One racing in the US until 2012, and even then, it wasn't particularly great. Still, yeah, uh, until we're only now really Liberty getting Media. back. Yeah, yeah, bizarre, bizarre. But yeah, it goes back again to Ferrari's veto. They were adamant they were racing. Um, I mean, sensibly, you know, they they couldn't put a chicane in because then it was against FIA rules. All the Michelin teams have claimed they just go slowly through and then they told they were going to get black flagged. 
They it were. Was they, it was just ridiculous, theory. wasn't it? And someone yeah. just needed to put Ferrari in their place. Maybe, or Michelin could have turned up with proper tyres. Has floor, uh, Jamie. Has floor. This is a another kind of interesting just disqualification, really, because Renault this time. I think it was twenty eighteen, if I remember rightly. Yes. Uh, twenty eighteen, <laughs> Haas and Renault were in a really big battle for P. Uh, P4 in the championship in the constructors and uh, every little point matters because obviously back in those days the top six positions were already on lockdown and that's one of the Red Bulls DNF'd so Which you were basically fighting for, for sixth place or seventh place every week um, Grosjean did finish sixth in Italy in 2018 and at that point Renault decided to play their trump card that they knew that Haas had an illegal floor but this is what, round, I don't know, 14, 15 or so? About it's that. late in the season. And Renault have known they've had this illegal flaw for a very long time, but chose not to alert the FIA until it cost Hass a lot of points. So that's what they did. It was very sneaky. But again, they disqualified Grosjean. But then he'd been running this floor for the whole season. <laughs> but for some reason, it only disqualified him for this one race and from then on had to change it. So... It was a very, very minor thing, really. But, uh, yeah, cost Haas a lot of points. Ended up with Renault finishing fourth because of Nico Hockenberg. And, yeah, that was that. Yeah, yeah. A, a bit of a smaller one after some of the huge championship and era-defining yeah, yeah. ones that we've just had. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this was, again... If Renault and Haas have had quite a mud fight between them, haven't they? Uh, over yeah. recent years, they just yeah. like to... <laughs> Well, I mean, it's just like a playground fight, isn't it, between some of the smaller teams. Um, yeah. Valtteri, it's James. The iconic yeah, this, line that we don't hear very often. This isn't really a conspiracy, is it? This is just team orders. Well, I don't think a lot of them are meant to be conspiracies. It's just meant to be controversies. Yeah, controversies. Well, this was a line that was peak in the sport, probably around 2018, 2019 time. Uh, I think most famously, probably the 2018 German Grand Prix, Russian. I would say. Oh yeah, the Rus- the 2019 Russia as well. That was pretty bad. 2018 but... Russia, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it no. would have been. Yeah. No, because yeah, it was yeah, a close battle. Russia. Yeah. 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 When Bottas is winning the race from Hamilton, Hamilton's 40 points clear with about six races to go, and they still decide to take Bottas's Russian Grand Prix win away from him. Which, to be fair, he has a lot of them because he was just an absolute merchant at Sochi, and. Uh, the the famous line Valtteri, it's James on the radio, uh, to tell him that he's about to lose his position to Hamilton or told to maintain position as it was in Germany. Uh, basically, yeah, cost Bottas the win, but I mean I don't really care because it's Bottas. So yeah, sucks for him, but team orders are team orders. It's part of the game. Exactly, it's it's in your contract. You agree to it. I mean, I think it still isn't it. Of course, you know you mentioned Russia there, uh, Germany, where he was obviously told to sit behind Lewis as well, and of course the famous one, uh, the twenty twenty one Dutch Grand Prix. Uh, Valtteri, it's yeah. James. Can you please abort the fastest lap attempt? And he still yeah. gets fastest lap. No, but he did abort it. He just got it. Aborted it way so, too late on the run up to the line. Yeah, but Hamilton <laughs> ended up getting it back, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it made no it difference. Come the end of the weekend, but yeah, whenever you hear Valtteri, it's James. It was never a good sign for poor Valtteri Bottas. We're into our final one, though, Jamie. Monza mm. qualifying 2019. This was funny. As a Hulk fan, I love this. Because <laughs> it was such snakery from Nico Hulkenberg. But it was it was iconic. And uh, you basically had 
2019, well, Monza it all all the time has been all about this top end speed and slipstream and getting positioned right in qualifying. So you've got Q3. Everyone is basically playing chicken with each other, trying to not be the first person out of the track, like out on track, because then you're going to tow everyone else around. So no one wants to go first. You've got 10 drivers. Oh, sorry, you've got nine drivers, I think, because Raikkonen crashed out, didn't he, before that in qualifying. Um, and none of them want to go first. So you've got everyone calling each other's bluff. And then with a minute 40, given it's a minute 20 on a flying lap to do a lap of Monza, you've got everyone leaves the pits at once. And actually, Hulkenberg is the head of the train at the start of the lap. He then gets a radio message saying, remember the plan, Nico. <laughs> and then goes straight on at turn one. Uh, having faked a lockup, goes through the escape road and is attempting to come on somewhere in the train so he's not leading it anymore. And then I think it was Stroll or Sainz who was like the next behind him, just goes around the first chicane incredibly slowly and doesn't overtake him. So you've got basically Hulk is still leading. You've got Sainz next to him in the McLaren and they're both going around Cover Grande at about 50 miles an hour. <laughs> With seven other Formula One cars right the behind cars, them, pretty much. Trying to, obviously, do their outlap to get onto the start of the race. And it ended up, I think Science was the first to blink and actually went for it. I thought and... Science was the second. I thought someone else went before Science. He was just the only one still in the big train that actually got a lap started. Yeah, so he was definitely the only one to get a lap in. But it was effectively Hulk's fault. But then I think anyone would have done the same thing. So... Yeah. There was no penalties. It was just an absolute mess. Uh, and it ended up with Charles Leclerc getting pole because obviously Sainz did get onto the final lap but had no slipstream and no tyre warm-up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was. I think my favourite bit about it still was obviously the fact that everyone at home can see what's happening. Of course, yeah. they're going through Curva Grande slow, slowly. Pretty much at this point, half the cars can't get a lap started and we're at turn three. And then, of course, we get round to probably the Lesmos, isn't it? And it's suddenly like everything we've realised for the last 30 seconds, <laughs> all the F1 teams suddenly go, oh, poo, we haven't got time. Yeah. So then everyone panics and goes for it, and no one makes it anyway. And it's just like the most anticlimactic you end. You can see it happening through. a mile away. It's just hilarious, absolutely hilarious. And I mean, we almost got the same thing, didn't we, in 2020? Um, but luckily, it didn't repeat itself. Um, but yeah, bring back one run qualifying, everyone goes out individually. I think well, this was the greatest advocate, wasn't it? I wonder if that's on here, because there was actually a video uh, F1 put out literally yesterday as we record this, of like top qualifying 10 controversies in, in qualifying. Yes. And yeah. the ordering, oh, it's t- oh, I hope it's in it, we'll talk about it later, but the 2005 British Grand Prix, that's a good one. Go look yes, at it. Yes, yeah. <laughs> well, well worth a watch. Well worth a watch. I think though, Jamie... That is everything then for tier one of the Formula One uh, podcast, Formula One Controversy Iceberg list. Thank you all so much for listening. Let us know whether you know this is a a bit of a different style podcast to what we've done in the past. Um, But, you know, something very, very... Let us know if you learnt anything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've we've probably waffled on a lot about random bits and pieces. Give us follow on all the various social media as well. Thank you all so much for listening. And we will be back next week then. I mean, this should have been the Chinese Grand Prix um, review show. Uh, but we will be back next week with the Azerbaijan preview. Um, but to be honest, I'm now quite looking forward to going into the second tier of this <laughs> at some point in the future. We don't know when, but it will happen. 